record. Good evening and welcome to a Saturday evening, September the 4th edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain. And once again, uh, our regularly scheduled guest, special guest on Saturday nights, Lucas Doremus, Christian author and teacher. Lucas, we're glad to have you again uh, this Saturday evening. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great and happy you guys have me back. Well, we, well, listen, buddy, we're, we're glad you're part of the team. Trust me. We, we feel like we've got the trifecta going here. Uh, we got, you know, Pastor Dick, uh, we got J.B. Hickson, we got Lucas Doremus. Uh, I'm not sure that we could really improve on it any. So we're we're real tickled that you're part of the team, brother. That's right. So so Lucas, tell tell me uh, now. Last podcast we did, we were talking about parables, uh, what they are, why Jesus used them, um, and that, that was a rather insightful and enlightening hour. Uh, and I think you're planning on on building upon that this evening, aren't you? Yeah, we will review that. And then, yes, we will. We, we are going to make the case uh, for what the par- for a lot of the parables are talking about tonight. Uh, sounds good. Okay, and uh, I I already know that I'm going to learn something new that I didn't learn before, which is kind of why this kind of excites me. So, uh, brother, when you're ready, get started, man. All righty. Well, well, we'll go ahead and jump in. We'll, we'll review. So we're studying the parables of Jesus. And again, we talked about how uh, we are primarily looking at Jesus as a teacher. As we said last time, he's, he's many things. Uh, he's Savior. He's God. He's King. Uh, but he was also the greatest teacher that ever lived. And so he's using parables because they're an excellent teaching tool. Uh, And so we went through what is a parable. The definition we gave was a comparison of a hypothetical situation to reality, emphasizing one similarity to to enhance a teaching. And so we contrasted that with some other things like a metaphor and analogy and a hyperbole and simile and talked about that. Uh, We also talked about the purpose of parables, uh, one to fulfill prophecy and one to reveal and conceal truth. And so if God gives you the, uh, the illumination of what the illustration is talking about, you'll be wiser. He'll give you more and he'll have abundance. And if you're not in that category, uh, he's actually in a way being merciful to you by concealing that truth from you. Okay. And so uh, we went through that. We also talked about how parables should be explained. Um, all parables have a prompt. Uh, And that just means there's some kind of situation that comes up that prompts Jesus to use a parable. Um, And they always have an audience. We talked about uh, sometimes it's a private audience. Sometimes it's the multitudes. Um, Probably most importantly, the audience is always Jewish. And that doesn't mean there weren't any Gentiles listening. uh, But primarily, Jesus is always talking to the Jews. Uh, and then we talked about what I, what I call the provoked thought, which some people would call the interpretation. And we talked about the reason I call it provoked thought is because Jesus is telling this parable to give you an illustration to enhance a teaching or make you think about 
what is going on. So parables, some parables, yes, have an quite quote interpretation, but some of them are pretty easy. And most of the them, uh, Jesus is going to give you the meaning right there. So he's provoking a thought in your mind. Uh, lastly, we talked about the details where we really want to go with the KISS method, the keep it simple, stupid method. Um, Jesus okay. can often explain the meaning of a parable in a sentence or two. Sometimes he says in it in three words. Uh, there is one meaning of a parable that he says, go and do likewise. That's four words. Sorry, it's, math is, can be difficult sometimes. Um, <laughs> But the details always have to serve the provoked thought. Uh, sometimes a lot of the details can have meaning. Uh, most of the time they won't. And so we have to be very careful with that. So we talked about all those things about what a parable is. Uh, and that was a very quick uh, review. And so you can always go back and listen to the, pot, the previous podcast, which is the nice thing about podcasts. You can re-listen yeah. to them. So... One thing that we really have to go over, which most likely this will take us our whole hour, is we have to define uh, what the kingdom is, because so many of the parables deal with the kingdom. Roughly half of them are talking about the kingdom. And so uh, the Bible is a, is a book. It's, it's 66 books, but it's all contained in one binding. And it is a continuous story from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible. And so if you were reading an, a novel, you wouldn't pick up that novel, open it to right in the middle and start reading and go, well, this doesn't make any sense and then throw it away. Uh, well, it doesn't make sense because you're not starting from the beginning. And so what we're going to do is in order to study parables, we have to go all the way back to Genesis and talk about uh, what the kingdom is. Uh, who Jesus is, why he's coming when he did, uh, what he was doing when he got there, um, and what happened while he was there. Um, and it really, um, I, I, this is one of my absolute favorite things to teach and research. I always learn something new every time I go back and study this. I always learn better ways to explain it. And so we are going to start in Genesis 1. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up your Bible and go to page one, I'm going to guess, in your Bible. Uh, in mine, it's actually page two. Uh, but we are going to go to Genesis chapter one, verse 28. So at this point in the Bible, uh, God has created everything. Uh, he has just created man in his own image. And then in Genesis 1:28, it says, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth on the earth. Now, the reason we pick out this verse is because we want to pull out these words subdue and dominion. Now, those are very authoritative words or very uh, kingly words, if I can call it that. Yeah. Um, the God created Adam and Eve to rule over the earth. Now, at this point in the Bible, the idea of a kingdom, a king, doesn't necessarily exist yet. But God was going to rule through a man over the earth. That was always the design. Um, sometimes we even call it the theocratic administrator. That's the very, you know, uh, academic term for it. 
But that was what was going to happen was God said to Adam, I am, you are going to rule the earth. I am going to rule the earth through you, all creation. And so the kingdom or a kingdom was always God's design. Well, what happened? Well, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve started listening to the creation and taking orders from it instead of ruling over it. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a talking serpent comes and tells them that uh, they should eat from the t- from a tree, which, by the way, was the only thing they weren't allowed to do. They could do anything else except for that. And uh, Satan got them to do it. And so at that point, the kingdom is lost. Yep. And the rulership of earth transfers to Satan at yep. that point. Now, how can I prove that? Well, in the temptation of Jesus, uh, I forget exactly. It's in Matthew and Luke. I forget exactly what verse. Satan lets go a little information. He says, I will, when he brings uh, Jesus up on the mountain to view all the kingdoms, he says, I have all these kingdoms and I give them to whoever I wish. Now, what Satan is saying is, I rule the earth. And Jesus, if you will bow down to me, I will give you all these kingdoms. Now, Satan's talking to God, and Satan knew Jesus was God. And so he wouldn't say that if he didn't have the ability to give over those kingdoms. That's right. So in Genesis 3, the kingdom is lost. And so from one point of view, you could say the entire Bible is the story of God giving the kingdom to man, losing the kingdom, and then getting the kingdom back. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus will be a man. Now, he's also God. He's God and man. He will, again, be the man ruling the entire earth. Again, yes. he's God also. I make sure he's not just a man. He's both. Okay. But you could say that is actually the story of the Bible. So. Uh, what is the, what, what next really important happens? Well, in Genesis 3.15, uh, we get the first messianic prophecy. What I mean by messianic is the Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one, uh, the one that's going to save us. And in Genesis 3.15, God is talking to Satan, and he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, this is a very interesting passage. A woman does not have seed. That's right. And so God had to provide the seed. Mm -hmm. And so this is the first time that God is saying, there will be a man, a human, one day that will crush your head, bruise thy head, and destroy him. Now, the only way God could do it is by that man also being God. Um, Mm -hmm. but this is the first thing that happens. So we lost the kingdom and God's going to bring somebody at some point that is going to get the kingdom back. The next really important thing that happened, well, actually there's a lot of important things happen. We're actually going to skip over the flood. Uh, but if you turn to Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant, Well, we're going to get to the calling of Abraham, and then, yes, the Abrahamic covenant. So, again, I I say the next important thing. Actually, there's quite a few important things that happen uh, before this, 
Um, but we're going to we're going to in, in reference to time, we're going to skip over them. But in Genesis 12, verse one, it says, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So what God is doing here is he is calling Abraham as he is making a promise. He is saying, this will happen to you. Right. Now, in Genesis 15... I'm going to skip. Abraham is a great story, but in Genesis 15, uh, this is one of those chapters that if you skip Genesis 15, uh, you're going to get really off. Yeah, you're going to get off. Yep, because Genesis 15 is an extremely pivotal chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, Mm -hmm. Genesis 15, you could argue, sets up basically the rest of the entire Bible. Uh, so we're going to read the whole thing and we're going to talk about it in a couple different areas. So in Genesis 15, verse one, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt, wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And, be, and Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Mm-hmm. And I always wonder, it says in verse 2 and 8, verse 3, it says, And Abram said, I wonder if there was a time gap between verse 2 and verse 3. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, did, did Abraham say this to God, and then he said, tried to reinforce it because God didn't answer him right away? I don't know. I just, you know, when I read the, I always try to put myself in it, but and maybe it was right away. We don't know. Verse four, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now, all that Whoa. means is Abraham's going to have a son through himself now at this point abraham was quite old and his wife was quite old and also barren so the idea of abraham having a son at this age is impossible biologically it's not possible to happen verse five and he brought him forth abroad and said look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them And he said unto them, so shall thy seed be. And Mm -hmm. he believed in the Lord and he counted it him for righteousness. Boy, now let's stop there. Now, Dick, I have heard you multiple times on this podcast talk about Genesis 15, verse 6, which is what we just read. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it unto him for righteousness. Now, what what is the subject? What is going on in verse 15? Well, God is telling Abraham he's going to have a son. And as we just explained, him and his wife are too old. It's biologically impossible. So what does God tell him? He says, look, if you can count the stars, or sorry, excuse me, that's a bad way to seven. Tell the stars, if they be able to number them, so shall thy seed be. What that means is Abraham's not able to count the stars, and that's how many descendants he's going to have. Yeah, yeah. And what does it say? And he believed in the Lord. So Abraham clearly believed that God was able to give him a son, even though that it was basically impossible. 
But we know from the New Testament, what does this also mean, Dick? What did he also believe? <laughs> You're going to tell me, aren't you? Well, uh, well, I figured you wanted to say it, but <laughs> <laughs> it also means that Abraham believed God for salvation. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, wait a minute. Hold on. This is talking about Abraham having a son. And, and, and wait, what's this whole salvation thing? Well, we got to back up a little bit. So in Genesis 3.15, we know there was a prophecy given about a Messiah coming. Now turn to Genesis 4. Genesis 4.25. Because sometimes Gen Genesis is not a, uh, a book strictly about theology, is it? Um, it's no. actually a, a book about the history. It's telling you what happened. Now, that doesn't mean there's, there isn't theology in it. It just means it's not the same as Paul's epistles. Mm -hmm. And so in Genesis 4, 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, she said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, who, came, who Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, what's going on? Well, why are they calling upon the name of the Lord? Because there's a curse on them, right? There's a curse of the entire creation. Absolutely. I think it's possible that Eve thought Cain, Abel, and then Seth were the Messiah. I, I think that's possible. Now, I can't prove that. But if God said, look, I'm going to bring a Messiah, well, it's possible Eve thought it was going to be right away. So when she started bearing children, oh, this is who's going to lift the curse. Yeah. Now, go, go to Genesis 5. Genesis 5, 28. It says, and Lamech lived 180 and two years, and he begat a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, this same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Well, what's Lamech talking about? He's talking about the curse. And he's saying, I think my son Noah is the one who is going to lift the curse. He's the seed. So, awesome. we, can, so we can see that from Adam and Eve, they passed down what God told the serpent, and they were in earshot. They passed down that idea that one day God's going to bring a Messiah. So this idea of a Messiah, this is passing down through humanity. And at this time, they don't have a Bible written at this time, but they're passing this along. Genesis 6, verse 8 it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is the first mention of grace in the Bible. Now, Correct. grace simply means favor. Now, it's not laid out exactly here, but we know from the New Testament that the only favor you can ever get from God is unmerited or unearned. That's correct. You know, Pastor Dick, if I go do something at your house and you pay me for it, that is favor that I earned from you. But see, to God, there's nothing I can do to earn anything from him. That's so true. by definition, all favor or grace from God is unearned. And so Noah found grace. Noah was saved. We're going to meet Noah in heaven, and we know it's because he found grace here. Okay. So 
what I'm pointing out is that when we get back to Genesis 15, this idea of a savior would have been passed down through all these generations that they knew that there was a savior coming to lift the toil of their hands. So when Abram here believes in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness, he is not only believing that God's going to bring him a son, which is impossible at his age. He's also believing in God for salvation, that the Messiah is going to come through Abraham's line and Abraham will be saved by this eventual Messiah. So that's what's going on here in Genesis 15. And so we know from this verse that all it takes is faith. There's no works involved. And in fact, uh, as you're going through in Galatians, uh, what was Abram's work that he did uh, relatively soon after this? He, he had a son, but it wasn't the son he was supposed to have. That's or, correct. Okay. It was a work. Yep. So here Abraham got saved. What's the next thing he does? Turns around and tries to force uh, his seed to happen. Well, yeah. Sarah, Sarah had a part in it too, but uh, yeah, you know, it's fun. You ever stop and think about what that conversation was like? Uh, hey, uh, yes. Hey, Abraham, you want to? <laughs> yeah. Listen, you know. I got an idea. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That, that, I wonder how awkward that was, but, but anyway. Yeah. So that's what's going on in 15, in these first six verses, is God is giving Abram an impossible idea that he's going to make work. And Abram not only is believing he's going to have a seed, but that seed is also going to save them from the curse and that be the Messiah. All right, let's, let's move on. Cha verse 7, let's keep reading. Back in chapter 15, verse 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and to give thee this land and inherited it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know and I shall inherit it? Well, what's Abraham doing here? He's looking for uh, confirmation. You know, he's looking for that security. Yes, he's, looking for, he's looking for God to codify this will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I can understand why Abraham's doing that, uh, because he's looking at an impossible task. He's just believed that God could do it, but he's still like, but, but God, how's that going to work? Sure. Verse eight, or sorry, verse nine. And he, that's God, said unto him, that's Abram, take me a heifer of three years old and, she, and a she goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. Now, this is actually, this sounds really goofy to us that he cut all these animals in two and, and made this little path between them. That was actually a very common agreement uh, back in the ancient Middle East. What it was called was the Suzerain Vassal Treaty. Uh, the Suzerain was the superior and the vassal was the inferior. So this is actually very common. Abraham probably was familiar with this. And what the idea was, would you cut all these animals in half? And then both parties, the suzerain and the vassal, the superior and the inferior, walk down the middle. And the idea of this is they are saying, if I don't keep this promise, this covenant, then let me be the same as these animals. Let me be cut in two. 
Yeah. So this was an extremely binding uh, covenant that happened back in those days. Uh, and, and, and when I said they both walked through it, that detail is going to be very important here in a second. All right, let's keep going. Verse 11. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell over Abram, and lo, a great horror of great darkness fell upon him. Um, I sometimes wonder what that great horror was, and I think it was God's presence. Um, when you get put in the presence of a completely holy God and you know you're sinful, it, it causes some uh, reactions, <laughs> some emotions. Uh, yeah, well, so, yes. Verse 13. And God, and he, God, said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Oh. And also that nation whom they shall serve, shall serve, I will judge. And afterwards shall they shall come out with great substance. Well, what was that? Well, that was Egypt. Yep. God is telling Abram, look, your people are going to go to a land they don't know. That would be Egypt. They're going to right. spend time there 400 years. That's exactly what happened. And yep. then when they come out of that nation, they'll have a great substance. That's exactly what happened. The Egyptians gave them a whole bunch of gold and said, get out of here after that 10th plague. That's right. All right. Verse 15. We'll keep going. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Uh, what he's saying is, I am not ready for you to possess this land that you're in, because the people that live here, their sin, their iniquity isn't full yet. But I'm going to judge them. You just have to wait a little bit. Mm -hmm. Verse 17, and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Mm -hmm. Oh, so what's happening? Mm -hmm. Only God, pictured in this burning lamp, the burning oven, is mm -hmm. passing through these animals. Abra yeah. Abram did not walk through them. That's right. Which means Abram has no part in this covenant. What yeah. I mean by no part is there is nothing he does not have to do anything in order for the covenant to pass. God is going to fulfill it all on his own power without any effort of Abraham on his own. Right. We call this an unconditional covenant. Mm -hmm. That means there are no conditions. There's nothing that has to take place in order for God to do something. That's right. Verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. From the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, we'll stop. Um, some people in modern will say that God doesn't care about the land, uh, that God's kingdom is global on the earth. Um, okay. that, is, that is true, that God globally will rule the earth, but he absolutely does yeah. care about the land he laid out here to Abram. He cares. Okay. And you will find that theme throughout the entire Bible. So, God is making a promise that this land, the river Egypt unto the great, unto the Euphrates, God cares. And he is going to give Israel that land one day. That's right. right. And anyway, um, and so then, uh, then he said, 
unto the unto thy seed I've given this land, and that land is of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephrams and the Amorites and the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Electricites, the Mosquito Bites. Yeah. Okay, sorry, that those 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 get away from me, but uh... <laughs> that's all right. You're you, that's all right. That, that's why you're on the team. Okay. <laughs> and so this this chapter, what we're laying out is that not only did we, you know, take a pit stop and talk about salvation, but God made this promise to Abraham that his seed, uh, not only all his descendants, but a specific seed is going to get this land. Uh, we read in Genesis 12 that Abraham's seed is going to be a blessing. And all of that is a promise. Okay, now. We know that Israel has never gotten the land from the river Euphrates, or sorry, from the Euphrates River to the river of Egypt. They have never possessed all this land. Sure. Which means we are still waiting for the fulfillment of that covenant. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think I can tell you where the fulfillment comes in the Bible, but you keep on going. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to come at the end when Jesus comes back. And we're going to talk about why that is the case, because it hugely impacts the parables. Now, a lot of important things happen in the book of Genesis. We're actually going to skip all the way to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. So what's going on? Uh, they, the, God has delivered uh, Israel from Egypt using Moses. Mm -hmm. um, they have come to Mount Sinai. Uh, they are just about to get the Ten Commandments uh, and, and, and what's going on. So in ex Exodus 19, verse 3, it says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Yea, yea, have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. That would be all the plagues and leaving, drowning them in the Red Sea, all that stuff. And how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, notice how God did all this. Yep. Uh, Israel didn't have a part in it. All they did was believe that God was going to do it, and he did it. Yep. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Then ye shall be a particular peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. Now notice in the Abrahamic covenant, you have this, you have this interaction where God is the only one making the promise. Here it's different. It says, if ye will obey, then you shall have treasure. Yeah. that's very different. That is conditional. That is saying, if you will do this, then this thing will happen. Now, what you can also say is, if you don't do this, then this won't happen. Okay, so God has now made a promise to Abraham, and he's also now made a promise to Israel as a nation. But that promise, this covenant to their nation is conditional. And what this is talking about is if you read through the law and these books, it's talking about blessing. If you do what I say in this law, you will have blessing. If you don't do what's in this law, you will not have blessing or you will have curses. Now, that is laid out in Deuteronomy 28. 
if we are not going to read all of Deuteronomy 28, but that is the chapter that lays out the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. And if you become familiar with Deuteronomy 28, the entire New Old Testament is just a play out of that chapter. When Israel's following the law, they get everything that was promised to them as the blessings in that chapter. When they don't follow the law, they get the curses that were promised in that chapter. And it just makes, if you've got that chapter down and that understanding, the whole Old Testament makes so much more sense what's going on. So I would encourage you to read that. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 17. This is a very important chapter when we're talking about Jesus and when he shows up and what he's doing as claiming to be their king. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, it says, When thou come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me. Oh, well, that's exactly what happened in Samuel. And you know what God told him? Mm-hmm. You don't need a king. I'm your king. That's right. So God is laying forth a prophecy here. One day you, Israel, you, nation of Israel, will ask for a king. And you'll say, like as all the nations that are around me, that's exactly what happened. They said, we want a king like the other nations. Verse 15, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Now, when it says, now set a stranger over thee, what that means is like check their birth certificate and things and where they came from to make sure that uh, you're not allowing foreigners to rule over you. Why? Because they don't have the same values you do. That's right. They don't understand. But the big, big deal, it says, you shall set a king over you whom the Lord shall choose. Now, Saul... Who chose him? The people. Yep, people they, did. They sure did. Mm-hmm. So one of the big, big points of the law, that's the if you follow the law, then you'll get the blessing. One of mm-hmm. the things they have to do, they have to accept the king that God chooses. That's right. Well, to for, to force out a little bit, who is the king that God chooses? David. Jesus. Well, okay. Yes. David, ultimately Jesus. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) That's true. We're going to talk about David next. And it was said of of Jesus, the Jews said, we have no king but Caesar. Exactly. Isn't that amazing? uh Uh-huh. And so when Jesus shows up, that is the king God chose and they rejected him, which Mm -hmm. is why the kingdom didn't start. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. So yes, Curtis, you're right. David, turn to First Samuel, or excuse me, Second Samuel. Uh-huh. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, yeah. it lays out what we've called the Davidic covenant. And all this is, is another covenant, another promise that God made to David. Now, the other, we're skipping over a couple of the other really major covenants, but all of these covenants, the major ones, just build on what we read in Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so what God tells David in chapter 7, verse 12, it says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with my fathers, meaning David, after you die, 
I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. Well, let me ask everybody, how long is forever? Well, it's forever. It's yep, it's long forever. Time. It will yeah. never end. Never. Now, forever would be the same thing as eternal, right? Same, same exact thing. Right. So if uh, David's kingdom is going to be, or the king is, is the kingdom is going to be eternal. Well, wouldn't that mean eternal life would also be eternal? So yeah. that means if you get eternal life, it can't ever end, right? That's correct. So, so that must mean you can't lose it because by definition, losing it would mean ending. Yeah, that's right. Which would mean it wouldn't be eternal. Okay. So that's a little tidbit. That's a little extra. Now, in uh, you, you don't go ahead, Dick. Sorry, I, uh, we're not going to pay for the extra stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll just accept it. All right, all right. Now, in Psalm eighty-nine, verse three, it just says, "I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David, my servant, thy seed I will establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations." Now, the reason I read that verse is just because we know that's a covenant. So God said, you, David, your line, your seed is going to have a king that's going to sit on the throne forever. Yeah, this is now, an unconditional covenant. Again, right. David has no part in this. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, what would David has un have understood about a kingdom and a throne? He would have understood that a king sits on a throne and a king yeah. has a certain land that he governs. Correct. And he has things like an army, taxes, those sorts of things. So there is no idea in 2 Samuel 7 that there's a kingdom in your heart or a, uh, you know, a, a, a kingdom that isn't physical, that doesn't, you know, just exists in the ether somewhere. So the kingdom is absolutely physical and on earth. Now we can prove that other ways, but that's what we're going to get. Now, the next thing we're going to get to is the exile to Babylon. Now, the reason this is important is because this lays out, uh, you know how in the Gospels, uh, the Pharisees are always getting mad at Jesus about the Sabbath? Yeah. They're always really, they're always really ticked off because Jesus is always, to them, is always breaking the Sabbath. Now, uh, when, I, when I figured this out, I had somebody uh, point this out, and then I researched it. And this, this brings a whole lot of sense to what's going on. In Leviticus 25, again, you can turn there if you'd like, Leviticus 25, chapter 1, uh, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then ye, the land shall keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow the field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard. And gather in the fruit thereof, but in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a you. Sabbath for the Lord. Yeah. So what he's saying is six years you're going to farm on your land, but the seventh year you're going to let the land rest. Yeah. Don't farm. Right. Now, we actually still modern day, uh, we have the same ideas where we have crop rotations, because if you keep planting the crops in the same field, it will suck all the nutrients out of that field. Sure. So, you know, we live in Illinois. We're all very familiar with corn and soybeans and those kind of things. Well, 
instead of giving the land a rest, what they do now is they pump nitrogen into the soil because the soil's lost its nutrients in order to feed the plants. Yep. So just as you guys have talked in Galatians about circumcision and the eighth day and vitamin K, God's doing the exact same thing. He's saying every seven years, you need to replenish the land with the nutrients in the soil so they'll grow well. Yeah. And we still just do the same thing, except now we chemically alter it so we don't have to do that. And uh, if there's any farmers listening, uh, you will know better than I, but I always wonder, is all the money you spend on pumping it with nitrogen about the same as just not getting the yield that year? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm not a farmer. I can't answer that question, but I just wonder. Now, in Leviticus 26, it actually gives the consequence for it in verse 31. It says, and I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. And I will not smell the savior of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land into desolation and your enemies, which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land shall be laid waste and your cities laid waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbath. Well, what Sabbath are you talking about? Well, the ones we just read about uh-huh. every seven years. Yep. As long as it lie desolate, and ye shall be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. Okay, so what's God going to do? He's going to, if you don't give the land rest, I will give you the land rest by taking you out of it, and then it will have the rest. Well, wow. what happened? In Jeremiah 25, we're not going to read the whole thing because I'm seeing we're short, getting short on time. They were conquered by Babylon. Yep. Okay. Now, in they were in Babylon 70 years. Well, you ask yourself, well, why 70? Well, turn to Second Chronicles chapter 36. Why were they in the land 70 years, which Jeremiah talks about uh, in chapter uh, 29? Why were they in the land 70 years? Well, Second Chronicles 36 verse 20. Yeah. says, or, or sorry, yeah, 20. And yeah. them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and the sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. This is talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. Uh-huh. Amen. Yeah. So apparently the Jews did not give the land Sabbath 480 or sorry, 490 years. So God gave them 70 years of rest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so when they get back to the land, what do they do? Well, they realized it was because they'd not given the land their Sabbaths. So what do they do? Well, they start making a whole bunch of laws about how you can't break the Sabbath because we're not having that happen again. So when Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts trying to tell them, no, this is what the Sabbath means. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, why was all that happening? Because the Jews did not want to get overtaken again. So they put all these rules, these man-made rules around the Sabbath so nobody could break it. And what did they do in the process? They broke it and they misunderstood what it was. So I hope that helps. That gave me so much insight 
into what's going on in the Gospels. Now, not only that, but Jesus, remember, who was his cousin? Well, John the Baptist was. John was a Levite, which means Jesus, even though he was from the tribe of Judah, was related to the priesthood. That's right. So it gives us a little insight that not only is this whole Sabbath thing going on, but Jesus is actually, you know, one, one, once removed related to all them. So they get pretty ticked off. Mm -hmm. All right. So turn now to Matthew 12. Well, we finally get to the new Testament. That was a lot of, that was a lot of background. Finally get to the new Testament. I was enjoying it. Okay. (laughs) So, so what happens in Matthew chapter 12? Now, as we said about Genesis 15, if you miss Matthew chapter 12, you're, the, the rest of the Bible after that is going to make a lot less sense. Mm-hmm. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, mm-hmm. it says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is this not the son of David? What are the people saying? Is this not the king that will fulfill the Davidic covenant? That's right. Which also would fulfill the Mosaic covenant? Yeah. Which would fulfill the Abrahamic covenant? Uh-huh. Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So the people recognized this is God. And they were wondering, is this the guy? Is this the Messiah? Is this the king we've been waiting for? Uh, we unfortunately had to skip some of Daniel, where it talks about the 70 yeah. weeks. Daniel we chapter were, 9, yep. Yep, in chapter, yep. And, but they're saying this could be the guy. And that's exactly who the disciples believed him to be. That's why he said that when Peter said, you're the Messiah. He was yeah. saying, you're the coming one. You are the promised one. All the way back to Genesis 3.15. And so uh, Jesus says, and Jesus knew their thoughts. This is verse 25 and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall a kingdom stand? Now, this is actually one of the parables we're going to get to later. But for right now, all Jesus is saying, I am not part of Satan's kingdom because it wouldn't make any sense. Right. So if you drop down to verse uh, 31, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. What in the world is he talking about? Uh, We've named this the unpardonable sin. What is he talking about? He is talking about the Jews rejecting him as king and Messiah. Yeah. That is not going to be forgiven. Ultimately, this comes down to faith. They did not believe. That's correct. And in this case, they lost the kingdom become of it. So what is happening in chapter 12 is that Jesus showed up as the king whom God appointed back in Deuteronomy 17. 
He showed up as the king that was promised through David. And he showed up as the Messiah that was prophesied way back in Genesis 15. And the, the, the nation could either believe it or not believe it. And they said, nope, this guy is part of Satan's kingdom. And Jesus, and Jesus said, you have just lost the offer of the kingdom. Now, to be sure about that. Oh, go ahead. And they were out. Yep. Now, we can be sure that this was the case because in Matthew 23, he says a very, very humbling chapter. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Um, a lot of times I get goosebumps when I read this verse because. Jesus is pointing out that Jerusalem, Jerusalem, nation of Israel, you're pretty rotten to the people I've tried to send to you. I would have still hugged you and forgiven you and drawn you in close, but you didn't want it. Wow. Verse 38, behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Well, what's that? It's a quotation of the psalm for the, the day the Messiah comes in and takes the kingdom. So what is happening is the Jews as a nation rejected the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it is not going to be offered again until they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. Well, when's that going to happen? At Christ's second coming. That's exactly right. So what happens? Well, Jesus gets crucified, dies for every single person that ever lived. And if they would accept him as savior, they will get eternal life and go to heaven. And then the church starts. So the church is here. But we are still waiting for Jesus to fulfill all those prophecies to Israel. Now, we pointed out, you know, the Davidic and the Abrahamic covenant, those are unconditional. Then are going to hap- those are going to happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. And we pointed out the Mosaic covenant is an if then. It's a conditional covenant. If you do this, then this will happen. So they will all converge at the time when Israel accepts their king and their savior. Yep. which is when Jesus comes back the second time and the earth and the kingdom starts. And that's the beginning of the millennium. Yep. That's correct. So we are, we are waiting. We are living in between the time of Jesus's first coming and the second coming. And uh, JB did an excellent job talking about the rapture this past week. And so I won't rehearse all of that, but we as the church are waiting for the rapture so God can continue what he started with Israel so Jesus can come back. Amen. Amen. So that gives you, so when we're going to actually get to the parables next week, it only took us two hours to actually read one parable. (laughs) When we finally get to them, every time we see the kingdom, it means the earthly kingdom that Jesus is going to rule over when he comes back. Right. And whenever the parables are about salvation, we go back to Genesis 15, six, and it's by faith alone Mm -hmm. in Jesus alone. Mm -hmm. That's right. And the reason we just spent an hour talking about that is because if we don't have those two concepts, some of the parables make it sound like we might be in the kingdom now, 
or the church is the new Israel or things like that. Uh, some of the parables make it sound like you might have to do works in order to get saved. Uh, and neither of those are the case. Mm -hmm. And so we spent time clarifying that because then when we get to the parables, we can say, okay, I know this parable sounds like uh, I have to do works to be saved, but I know that isn't true because Genesis 6 and Romans 4 make it so clear that it's by faith alone. That's right. So then we can correctly talk about the parables. Okay. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. So actually, I see I got a few more minutes. Okay, take them. So we talk about the kingdom. We talk about a lot of that, where the kingdom is when Jesus comes back. Now, the other thing that we need to really lay out, and I've already kind of said it and made a point of it, but I'll make a stronger point that the church does not exist when Jesus is on earth. The church does not exist until Acts 2, when right. at Pentecost. And so all of the parables are not about the church, or maybe I'll say it this way. None of the parables are about the church. We can't insert the church into the parables because it didn't exist yet. Jesus couldn't have been talking about something that didn't exist. What we can do is there are a lot of parallels in the provoked thoughts of the parables between Israel and the church that we can still find a lot of application in the parables, even though they are not about us specifically. Um, one popular way of saying that is all of the Bible was written to us, but not all the Bible was written about us. Uh, and all that, all that means is I and the church am not part of Israel, which means I don't do things that God commanded to Israel. Now, a lot of those things, the principle is sound and, and that principle also applies to the church. And I can make that connection. But I still have to understand that God told Israel certain things and God told the church certain things. Yep. And as long as I've got that straight, the parables will make a lot more sense. It's called, my, my young man, my friend, my fellow believer, it's called rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. That's right. And in, in order to do this, we have to understand the context, context, context yeah, one, of my, one of my favorite rules yep and and we just spent an hour developing the context for our parables yep and by the way uh, i enjoyed every moment of it <laughs> so did i i always learn things <laughs> yeah that's what we're doing we're trying to educate people edify people mm -hmm. let them enjoy their faith um so yeah thank you uh, brother lucas for uh, for this hour, and it, it went by so quickly, uh, it, I'm almost sorry that it's over. It did, and, and to give you a little primer, next week we will start with the mystery kingdom parables, starting with the parable of the sower, and I, I would argue that uh, these nine parables are maybe some of the ones that are most misunderstood, yeah. and so it will be fun. I'm looking yeah. forward to it, because man, did I... And, and I will well, took you tell you some of these parables took me hours I to know. really understand them. So, aren't those great, the great hours, though, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. All right.
Also, I want to point out too something, Lucas, that uh, uh, it's a good thing that we're doing. We're talking about parables. Uh, that's going to tie in very nicely with uh, what Pastor Dick is going to be talking about in our next series on mysteries. Oh, yes. And also what JB is going to be doing this Tuesday on Israel and the church. Oh, no wow. And what you're, t- what you're talking about is actually going to tie all three of those subjects together. So if you're out there uh, listening to the Christian Underground News Network right now, let me just tell you, you cannot afford it to miss an episode. Don't miss it. It's going to be good stuff. It's, it's almost like God coordinated all three of us without us it, even talking about it. Well, I know you have, amazing. I know you haven't talked to JB about it, have you? No. <laughs> I, I, I know I didn't tell him what you were doing either. Nope. And, and even Pastor didn't really know what you were going to be doing this week, if it was going to be a continuation or, or um, on parables or not. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing how God kind of, uh, not kind of, he orchestrates, he, he orchestrates it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. What a blessing. Amazing. So listen, thank you again for that hour, brother. And uh, we look forward to next Saturday. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do it at the same time or not. Now, you think the 730 time slot's going to work for you? I think so. I think it's working cool. so far. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to sign off for tonight uh, until Tuesday morning. So Thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, we hope you were blessed and and edified and built up by what you heard, and uh, have a clearer picture of of what parables actually are, Uh, and be sure to tune in next Saturday night for a continuation on this study, and uh, and Lucas, uh, let me tell you something, you're, you're doing a great job presenting it, brother, I'm learning some new stuff here, and I'm loving it. Me too. Well, thanks. <laughs> I'm loving it. And I'm sure our listeners are loving it too. So um, now also, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, uh, Lucas has some books. Tell us again, Lucas, where, where we can buy your books. Oh, you can buy them at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, it's those places. And the best way is probably just to search my name, Lucas Doremus. Okay. Okay. And we can get your book on Ecclesiastes. And Job. Um, on, on Job. And uh, on and the parables. Yep. Okay. So if, if you're enjoying what you're hearing tonight on parables, uh, now I've read his book on Job. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, when we finish parables, can we go to Job? Oh, you bet. Okay. You're really going to dig that. Okay. I, I know I did. Okay. Um, so listen, we're going to sign off for now. This is the Christian Underground News Network saying thank you for joining us. Um, we've been blessed having you with us and, uh, we hope that we've been a blessing to you. Uh, so be sure to tune in Tuesday, this coming Tuesday for JB Hickson. Uh, we're going to be discussing Israel and the church. So don't miss it. We love you and we're praying for you. And, uh, we pray that you'll be with us again this coming Tuesday until this coming Tuesday, we're signing off. May God bless and keep you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Labor Day weekend. Bye-bye.